Thank you for joining the Capital Church Podcast. We believe that Jesus is for you and that through these expressions of our community, you will find hope, healing, and belonging. To learn more, join us live every week online and visit our website at capitalchurch.co or send us an email at info at So it was 2018. Are you excited to be here? Yeah. It was 2018, 2019. My wife and I just found out that we, had our, we were pregnant with our third set of twins. And needless to say, I was in a moment of despair this particular day. And it's funny, when I go to the grocery store, when I go to like a public pay, place, inevitably someone's going to ask me, because I'll have a kid or two or three or four or five with me, they'll ask me, hey, guy, how many kids do you have? And so there's, there's no middle of the road response. It's, there's only two responses, and both responses are one of astonishment. One's more joy-filled, the other one's a little bit more negative. The joy-filled, I love it. When someone is like astonished that I have three sets of twins, I have seven children, uh, their face lights up, and they're full of joy, and they ask me questions, and their joy gets on me, and I'm like, oh, yeah, this is actually pretty cool, right? I have seven kids. Amazing, right? And I love that response. The other response that I get when I tell someone that I have seven kids is more like, what's wrong with you, guy? Are you raising a cult? You know, are you a cult leader? Like, get away from me. So it's interesting how people respond to my situation. But in this moment, in early 2019, my wife and I just found out that we're having our third set of twins. I hadn't slept for a couple days. I'm suffering through, like, mild uh, hallucinations. And I'm really, I mean, my eyes are bloodshot. And I'm really having a moment. I'm in the kitchen. And I'm looking out into the backyard. It's a beautiful day. And I'm just like... Like, I'm not quite sure where I'm at. And my wife and I, we were just exhausted. Kids are all over the floor, and there's toys. And my wife, have you ever seen Twister before? It's, it's stupid. Anyways, my wife puts it on. We just need a little bit of joy. We're a little bit like, it's just really wiped out. And my wife sees the look on my face as I'm staring out into the backyard. And it must have been blank because it startled her. And she looks to me, and she goes, Chris, what's, are you okay? Like, what's wrong with you? And my response, it kind of like startled me. And I'm like, well, I just, and it was funny what I, I, I gave voice to something that I was really struggling with deep inside. And I think a lot of people in our world have struggled with this very thing. And I go, babe, where's the joy? Not that I didn't love having kids, like 7,000 children. It's amazing, right? What I was really struggling with was just the fatigue and the exhaustion and just being overwhelmed with a lot of different, not just with kids, but a lot of different things that was going on in that season. Well, what I soon discovered over several years, because that was kind of the refrain of my, my life the last three years, and God has really shown me a lot of things. And what I've discovered in a season of joylessness is that I can have joy. Yes. That there is indeed joy in joylessness. I have come, and some of you, I get it, are going to probably disagree with my thesis here today. But you're wrong, and I'm right, okay? But I love you, right? But I want to make this the statement that joy is absolutely essential to navigate the complexities of life. In order for us to carry mourning and grief and sorrow and pain and trauma and heartache and betrayal and the suffering that we all 
will go through or are experiencing right now, we need joy. And I want, to make, I want to make the argument that you and I, as Dr. Stan so eloquently prayed and declared, or actually declared over our interns, that God has called us to live a life of joy. Nehemiah 8.10 says, get rid of the grief. Don't short circuit it. There are seasons that we need to navigate grief in a very wise way. Can I get an amen to that? There, there are sorrowful moments that we, we wrestle with, and those are good things. So we're not talking about short circuiting the, the emotional response to very hard seasons. But what I want to say is that the joy of the Lord, not the sorrow of life, is the secret of your resilience and your strength. And that is what I discovered and have discovered and I'm still wrestling with over uh, the last uh, few years. So let me just say this really quick. I'm gonna, I'm gonna give you a biblical story that focuses in and crystallizes around joy uh, here today. This is just my brief map and uh, we'll spend about four hours fleshing all of this out, okay? Hard, hard crowd, okay. Um, <laughs> Some of you thought I was serious. Uh, number two, I'm going to talk about how love is foundational for joy. And, and I'm going to spend just a few minutes on that. And then at the end, I want to talk about practically how can we become people of joy? Because I think a lot of us struggle with joy. As one expert said, uh, Christianity is uniquely a religion of joy, yet its universal symbol is the cross. So how, and this is the question that I want to like tease out here today, how do these two things go together? Like how can we be joyful when there's so many tears to wipe away? We got trouble. We're coming out of a pandemic. Our world is suffering through this complex emotional landscape of anxiety and depression and sorrow. If we're not careful, and I've experienced this, I feel it everywhere I go in our city, And when we're online, or when I'm online, I can sense it. But many people on the face of it would probably say that grief and sorrow seem to be deeper than joy and grace. If we're not careful, we can fall into the trap that pain is more heavy than happiness. In fact, in the 19th century, uh, a, a movement around atheism focused on suffering. In fact, uh, the bedrock of atheism is that there's a lot of suffering in this world. The Russian novelist Dostoevsky, he talks about it. He, he talks about his belief in God and yet his desire to return the ticket because so many, exper- so many people in this world experience joylessness and suffering and sorrow. So as followers of Jesus, can we seriously talk about joy in a world that shaped and energized by a joylessness bordering on anger and resentment and despair and sorrow. And I just want to say yes, with all the sensitivity, but with all the faith that I can muster, yes, God has called every son and daughter in this room to a life of joy and celebration and hope and love. So what about the story of the Bible? The story of the Bible, we find a beautiful mosaic of joy. Different pieces of joy kind of fit together, forming the central plot line of what we find in the scripture. We have nine Hebrew words for the word joy in the Old Testament. 45 of those words are used in the book of Psalms, 38 in the book of Isaiah. And then, I love this, seven 
references to joy are found in the book of Job, right? The most depressing book in the Bible. We still have evidence of joy. So when we come to the book of Psalms, let me just just carefully talk about this story arc of the Bible. Psalms is unembarrassed of putting joy alongside lament. We have in Psalm chapter 13, the most constant asked question in the book of Psalms. How long, O Lord? The psalmist is overwhelmed by this sense of being forsaken by his creator. And he asks the question, in the face of sorrow and suffering, God, how long are you going to let this happen? You got to feel the emotion of Psalm 13. He is living through a tragic situation like, God, I thought you were faithful. And then he takes us through this kind of maze of emotional landscape stuff that is shaping his inner world. And at the end of this Psalm, chapter 13, he comes to the conclusion, yet God, your steadfast love endures forever and your faithfulness will be the thing that guards and protects me all the days of my life. And what you find, and this is what I love about the book of Psalms, you can, yeah, you can clap at that, yeah, or no. But what, what, what I love about the book of Psalms is that it's a prayer adventure. It takes you through all these different emotional experiences, good and bad. And yes, it's filled with lament. But what you find is that there's a juxtaposition of good feeling and joy and celebration with lament and sorrow. And what we find, and this is so off-putting in our modern world, that Psalms ends in joy and celebration, festivity and partying and praise and doxology, not sadness and grief. And so I want to declare this over you if you're feeling joyless. And I'm going to talk about how we can navigate the complexities of feeling joyless and yet still staying in the joy that God has for us. But before I do that, I just want to say what you find in the book of Psalms and what you find in uh, the Bible is that life is more than death. Can I get an amen to that? And I know some people don't feel that way. But when you find in the scripture is that life has more weight than death. Philosophically, existence is better than non-existence. Can I get an amen? Hope is more in its texture than despair. Joy, even though we find lament and sorrow, and even though we find uh, trouble in difficult times, joy is greater than pain. Love in the end, and I want a good amen on this. Love in the end of the story arc of the Bible is heavier than every other thing. Even Paul, and I don't have enough time to like quibble with this and to work it out exegetically, but even Paul in Romans chapter 7 says where sin abounds, where there's brokenness of the heart, where you have tragically defaced your own life through bad behavior and wrong action and alienation from God, where there's trauma and where there's pain as a result of the defilement that sin produces from someone else in our own life, where sin abounds, Paul resoundedly says, grace abounds that much more. 
So grace is heavier. It has more texture. It is deeper. It is wider. It has more width. It has more girth. I'm thinking of words, but they're not coming to me. It's just more than sin, more than pain and sorrow, more than the, the complex emotional landscape that is shaped by depression and anxiety, things that we need to be sensitive about, things many people here today maybe are going through and experiencing, maybe even wrestling and with struggling with. I do believe that God has still called you to a life of joy. So the story of the Bible is this tapestry woven throughout with joy. If you remove joy from the central plot of the Bible, it frays, it unravels. In other words, if you take joy and you excise it from the biblical story, you don't have a Bible story. Joy is so woven throughout God's response and his story for us that it describes what God has called us to be and what God has called us to participate in. You and I were created by God for joy. Psalm 96, 11 through 13 says this, let the heavens be glad, I love this, and let the earth rejoice, let the sea roar and all that fills it. It's like the Metallica concert at, no, bad, bad, okay. Whatever, like if you grew up in the 80s, you're like, yeah, like, or 90s, whatever. We can Coldplay and then the 2000s, whatever, right? So all of creation is, this, it's like this throng of um, sentient and unsentient things caught up in this joyous chorus singing the praises of God. The field even will exult and everything in it. Then all the trees of the forest will sing for joy, verse 13, before the Lord, for he comes, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in his faithfulness. So two things here really quick. We find that the heart of reality is joy. Can I get an amen to that? All of creation is caught up in this chorus of joy. But number two, our future is not annihilation. Our future, if you are in Christ, is not um, destruction. It's not some cosmic dumpster fire that God takes you and all of creation and throws it into the fire. No, your future, if you are in Christ, is untrammeled, inexpressible joy. The future is not destruction. The end of your life is not destruction. The end of your life is one of joy if you are in Christ. We come to Psalm chapter 30. I love Psalm 30, and it talks about the poet, talks about how God turns his face to those who are in the pit. And the psalmist says this, he turns, referencing God, he turns our mourning into dancing. And then he continues, you have taken off my sackcloth and clothed me with joy. There's this great exchange as God shows his face on you and countenances you with his grace. The result is joy. We find in Psalm 51, we have David who, who ordered one of his guys to murder his best friend. This is a soap opera. David, the man after God's own heart, right? This is like Friday night, this is 60 minutes, right? This is like dark stuff. David, a man after God's own heart, his emotional world is turned upside down. He has been hijacked by sin. He sleeps with his best man's wife, and then he orders someone to kill 
Uriah ends up doing it. And here we have the prayer of David. And David says in his moment of tragedy, in his moment of contrition and brokenness, he goes, let me hear joy and gladness. Restore to me the joy of my salvation and sustain me with a willing spirit. Joy, joy, joy is the end of the Christian. God has called us to joy. Isaiah 35, 10, this is about the renewal of God's people. And it says, Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. And eventually joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain joy and gladness and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. Psalm 19, because some of you don't believe me here today, talks about the sun awakening from its slumber and in its circuit runs its course with joy. Zephaniah chapter 311, we mentioned this two weeks ago. Uh, the prophet announces that one day God will renew his people. How many of you want renewal? God will come and renew his people. And this is what the prophet says. He will renew Yahweh, that is, your life, and he will exult over you with loud singing, with joy and delight. We come to Luke 15. As we move into the Gospels, we have three parables that Jesus uses in response to the critique of the Pharisees as he welcomes sinners and broken people. And what we find in all three is that the atmosphere of heaven is energized by rejoicing and celebration over one person that repents. Joy is what characterizes heaven. Joy is what characterizes new heavens and new earth. You and I are created for joy. So the question is, and we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, what is joy? Joy is just simply this. I am glad that I am alive. You can, you can feel, man, life sucks right now. But joy is this basic awareness that I, even though I'm going through a hard time, even though I'm trying to no negotiate some very tricky situations in my life, I am glad that I woke up this morning with oxygen in my lungs and strength in my body. That is the beginning of joy. You also can't manufacture joy. Joy is something, as we talk about it, is something that you receive from someone else. Again, joy is to be glad that you're alive, but joy, and I'm gonna talk about this here really quick, is the result of receiving gladness from somebody else. Wow. Funny story, not funny story, really cool story, one of my favorite stories of all time. You'll figure out why. My wife and I, we were on a date night, and this was um, a couple months ago. And one thing you will know about my 7,000 children, they all love my wife more than they love me, okay? <laughs> I'm okay, I'm all right, sort of okay. I'm still working on a couple. I need at least one, right? So my wife and I, we have a game. If your parents, like, you, maybe you play this game. If you have a lot of kids, you play this game, right? Like, like, who do you think they love more today, right? So we talk about that anyways. So typically what happens when we, when we come back to the house, maybe we go on a date night and have fun, and then we come back um, and we go inside, our kids, all of them just rush us. And typically what happens is I go in the front, my wife's usually in the back, and they all sidestep me. I'm like... You know, I'm not joking. It happens all the flipping time. It makes me angry. 
Like I'm basically, this is my castle, right? <laughs> you enjoy me, right? Um, so they usually just sidestep me and they just, they just throw their bodies on my wife. Not this night, not this night. We come back, I don't know what happened. I don't know, it was something magical was in the air. My wife um, was in front of me as we went into our house and Presley, everyone say Presley. Presley sees my wife and I, sidesteps my wife, and then just leaps into my arms with this beaming face, and he goes, I just love you, Daddy. And I remember, like, pointing at my wife, see, I got one. Take it, right? I'm like, what, what am I, what's wrong with me, right? There, we've talked about this, but there is something about joy, and I'm going to talk more about this joy at its heart is contagious. Like you receive joy when someone that you love sees you. There is joy and gladness in that. And I don't want to get too far in that, but that is the essence of joy. Not only are we created for joy, but we're also designed for joy, guys. When, we, when you look at it from a neuroscientific point of view, we know that our bodies and our brains are wired for joy. In fact, I talked about this a couple of weeks ago, but the joy center of your brain, which is the right orbital prefrontal cortex, continues to grow throughout your life. It's unformed at birth, and it grows until the end of your life. In other words, I don't want to get into the weeds on this, but we call it neuro... We, like I'm a doctor, I'm a scientist. We call it neuroplasticity. What's wrong with me, right? But, it, but in fact, as you receive joy and you, as you experience more joy-filled moments, it creates physical ruts in your brain. There, I'll call them joy ruts. I don't know the technical term, but it's white matter that like rewires your brain. So some of you, you're thinking, okay, when we're talking about joy, like I just don't have the genetic makeup for it. Some of you are just like, oh, this is, you know, you just, you feel like you're wired because of your genetic makeup to not have joy. The good news is your brain is actually designed to live a joy-filled life and you can grow that prefrontal cortex in such a way that it can rewire the ruts in your brain so that you can, by God's grace and through his love, experience more joy in your life. In other words, you are not fated to live a melancholic life. Someone needs to hear this today, right? You're not fated to live a life of depression because you're a Dallas Cowboy fan. You can rise above it, okay? But joy is what we are designed for. So where do we find, where do we discover this joy as we close? I just have a few more minutes. Where do we locate joy? Well, John 15 tells us in the words of Jesus, Jesus says, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. And then I love this. Jesus is making the explicit connection between love. Everyone say love. love. And then he says, and because the Father has loved me, I want you to abide. Everyone say abide. Abide, abide in my love yes. so that my joy in you may be full. So, good. so Jesus shows us the pathway forward through joylessness and difficult emotions and emotions that intend to 
keep us from experiencing the fullness of life. Emotions that, are, that can be healthy, but if we sustain them, if it's sorrow and grief for too long, can cause us to withdraw from life. Jesus says the secret of learning to live a life of joy is found in the love of the Father for you. Joy, Jesus makes it very clear, joy is not circumstantial. Joy is not an inner subjective sense that you have. Joy is not some socially conditioned, engineered thing wherein we experience happiness because we get all we want. You're not going to experience permanent, bona fide, real, authentic joy if you make a million dollars this year. You might have a short-term boost, but overall, joy is not dependent. I mean, it'd be great to make a million dollars, right? But joy is not dependent upon circumstances. You have the right attractive partner. You have all the right circumstances going on in your life. You have success. You have achievement. No, joy is deeply relational. And it's joy, the result, I'll say it this way, joy is the result and it's produced by understanding and sinking into the incomprehensibility that God loves you and I, and we don't deserve that love today. We are here today not because we think we deserve anything. We are here today not because we prayed so much and we read our Bible so much and God's like, oh my gosh, you guys are amazing. No, we are here today because God loves us with an everlasting love. And guys, some of you need to hear this, but he is closer than you could ever possibly believe to you today. And some of you, you might not even believe this, but he, his desire and his intention is to enlarge your life greater than you could ever possibly imagine. Some of you think you're just shrunk down and maybe you feel like your, worst, your best days are behind you and your worst days are in front of you. And maybe you're just going through a lot right now and you can't even possibly imagine that God wants to enlarge your life. But it's the love of God that teaches Teaches us in the Bible and what we have experienced in life that God indeed wants to expand your mind, expand your heart, expand your future. Come on, give you a spacious life so that you can fulfill God's good purposes for you. Guys, He's closer than we could ever imagine. God will never, and I'm, I feel like I need to preach this, God will never leave you nor forsake you. God is with you right now. And I get it. Because I've been in those seats right there and I've heard preachers say that God is with you and in my heart, I said, no. There's no way because of what I was going through in that moment. So I know maybe some of you, your heart is saying the opposite today. And I totally get that and I'm sensitive to that. But as your pastor, I am declaring over you that irrespective of what you are experiencing right now in your inner world, God is with you. So the bond of love, as Jesus tells us, is the fertile soil by which joy springs eternal. It's Shakespearean. Just, I, I'm going to say that again. I thought that was actually really good. The bond of love is the fertile soil by which joy springs eternal in our lives. So let me say this really quick. Joy is the basic awareness that permeates our entire personality that we are loved by our Father in heaven. And it's in that love which produces the strength and the resilience to carry the difficulties and the sorrow in life. And this is why Nehemiah says the joy of the Lord is 
is our strength. This is why Hebrews, the author of Hebrews in chapter 12, says that for the joy that was set before Jesus, he endured the cross, despised the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of the Father. It was joy. It was joy. It was joy that energized Jesus and gave him the capacity to go all the way to the cross for you and I to take on our sin, to take on the wrath of his father and his own wrath against everything that has spoiled creation. It was joy that took Jesus to the cross that helped him negotiate persecution and difficult times and disciples betraying him and then experiencing the worst humiliating kind of death on the cross for us. He took in his body your sorrow and your pain and that brokenness and that negative script and that sin that has completely destroyed your relationships. He took it in his body and he released life and blessing. If it wasn't for joy, Jesus could not have done what he did for you and I. It's the joy of the Lord which gives us the strength to overcome the joylessness in our life. And And here's the thing, the Bible says about Jesus that he's the man of sorrow. But it wasn't sorrow that he tapped into as he went to the cross. It was joy. It was, I'm loved by my father. I've been blessed by my father and I'm uninhibited. And I can give him and I can trust in him my entire life because I know that I'm loved by my father. And because he knew that his father delighted in him, that he was blessed by his father, that joy of knowing that he was blessed led him all the way to the cross. And it was at the cross that the world would never be the same. Joy. Joy is what you're called to. Joy is how you have been designed by God to live for. So, it is love that produces joy in our lives. It is love that causes us to fulfill the good purposes of God in a spirit of joy. So really quick, how do we, how do we experience joy in joylessness? I got two minutes. Can I just get through this really quick? Are you guys good? So good with me? So how do we... How do we experience joy and joylessness? So one can be glad to be alive. I hope you believe this. You can rest in the love of God and in joy because you know you're blessed and loved by your Father. You can carry out the hardest challenges even when you feel joyless. When I said to my wife with a blank stare on my face, absolutely fatigued, Babe, where's the joy? You know, it's funny. I look back on the moment. I realized it was actually joy giving voice to my joylessness. It was this sense of, I know I'm loved by my father. It was a sense of almost in a way joy was protesting what I was feeling. And I think we've all experienced that protest. God, this is not how it should be. What is that protest? I think it's joy. It's the joy that God has made available to you and I. So three things really quick, and then I'm done, and I'll pray for you. You guys are amazing. Second service, you're way better than the first. 
kidding. I, you guys are both great, okay? Three practical thoughts. Number one, uh, how, do we, how do we walk out joy in our lives? I think we have to pri- prioritize relationships over achievement. This summer is my challenge for all of us, for Capital Church. Let's prioritize relationships over success. Let's flip the script. Americans are obsessed with achievement and success. And I think achievement and success is great. And I, I don't want to get into this. We, we've talked long and hard about the work under the work and how we just, our, our identity is located in um, our work and success. But if we want to experience joy and we believe that joy is relational, then we need to prioritize this summer relationships over achievement. I want to say this really quick. Joy is contagious. Everyone say contagious. contagious. And how is it contagious? Well, joy is contagious in a joy-filled community. Joy is contagious in a joy-filled community, which means you can't manufacture joy by yourself, but you can receive joy by being with joy-filled people. Isn't that funny? Yeah. And this is why I think it's so important that when we come on, on a Sunday and we're hearing the word of God and we're with each other, I think we have to practice Joy, And I think Michael said this earlier, and this is really what I firmly believe. The Bible makes it clear that the love of God, our love for each other, is an apologetic to the world of who God is, right? We find this in John. I think in addition to that, I think it's the joy of the Lord, not only is our strength, but it's also an additional apologetic to the world. Joy. Our joy, as we go through hard circumstances, doesn't mean you always have to feel festive and you're celebrating and all that, right, emotionally. But our joy, which is rooted in an understanding that we are loved by our Father, is an apologetic that I think breaks open the hard hearts that we see in our world today. So I think when it comes on a Sunday, we should... Learn to become a welcoming presence. I, should, I, I think we should practice being joy-filled when we come. It's funny, it's a, and I've, I've said this so many times before, but your glad face is contagious. Like some of you need to see your face right now. Check your face. I'm, I'm kidding. What's wrong with me, right? Oh, you're all beautiful people. But like some of us, we kind of come in and we're just like, and I'm like, oh my God, why do you even want to be here, right? Like, let's go somewhere else, right? What, what we need to do is we need to practice the way, we can't manufacture joy, but the way that we practice joy is, I think, even though at times we don't feel joy, and I'm not talking about faking it, can I get an amen? I think there are seasons we go through that, you know, we, we experience sorrow and difficult emotions, and we need to let uh, grief have its course, Okay. But with all those respected differences considered, I do think that we need to practice smiling more and becoming a welcoming presence for other people who have hard hearts. And I think it's through our joy that we can break open the petrified wood that we call the hard hardness of the heart in some people. And it can be such a powerful moment that it opens people up to the love of their father in heaven. See, here's my problem. Okay, so if you know me, and um, you, you know that I, I think way too much about stuff. And so if I'm not careful, I'll go to a public place and I get lost in my thoughts. 
And I'll just like, I'm just like thinking about like some theological puzzle. I'm getting groceries and I'm like, I'm not sure where I'm at. And I can get really tunnel vision. And what I learned from my wife, I love my wife. He's on date nights, we'll go downtown. And she's like the most bubbly personality. She's like, hey, right? She's like, hi, stranger. And she's like, hi, 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 hi. And I'm like, babe, that person might be an ax murderer, right? Okay. Why are you saying hi? She just, she just loves smiling at strangers. You know what's interesting? Most of the time, the strangers smile back. It takes a hard heart to, when someone smiles at you to go. Right? When we smile and we learn to be a welcoming presence, what happens? It brings joy to other people. And guess what happens? That joy rebounds or boomerangs. And when you see someone smiling back at you, you smile. And then they smile and you smile. Like, okay, are we having a moment? Like, what? (laughs) Joy, right? What I think we need to do is we need to prioritize relationships over achievement this summer. Which means that we need to practice becoming a welcoming presence in the life of people Because I I really believe that there are some people that will never set foot inside this church because their heart is so hard unless, unless their heart is broken up with evidence of something real. I know some of us think that, oh, joy, how can that change someone's heart? I think you could do something big. You have no idea what people are going through and experiencing in their life. And just one simple smile could be the very thing that gives evidence that there's actually something real and joy-filled in this universe. And that could break open the hardness of heart and lead that individual eventually to the saving relationship with Jesus. Can I get an amen? So what do we do? I I think, again, we need to prioritize relationships this summer. That means do this with your family. Do this with your friends. Invite people over. Have barbecues. Make a big, giant chocolate chip cookie with your kids and eat it. And then tell your kids that this is because of the gift and the love of the Father. Connect the story of God with your story and all the gifts that you've experienced. If you like to throw parties, great. If you like to go into nature, that's great. If you like to play basketball, that's great. If you like to watch movies, that's great. Do joyful things with other people. And when you see people, brighten your face. I would much rather have some of you come in on a Sunday like, than Try to preach me out of my emotions, preacher. <laughs> this is much better, right, than the other. And so I think we need to learn to practice joy. Now, you might be saying, okay, Chris, and I'm, I'm done here. How, how can I smile when I don't feel like smiling? I'm, I'm not trying to pressure anybody into this. But I think you'd be shocked that even if you don't feel joy, you can go into a place and you can smile at someone. There's virtue that's released from you. Yes. And when you see that virtue released in someone else and you can see something change in someone else's life, it it does something to you and it brings joy. Number two, really quick, so we want to prioritize relationships over achievement. But number two, I think this is important. We have to, and I said it before, we have to learn to connect God's story with our story. I know some of you are like, ah, I got to go. Okay, we're almost done. We all learn to connect God's story with our story. I think the most difficult thing for us as believers is to connect what, what happens on Sunday 
with the rest of our week, right? We come in on a Sunday and we believe that God loves us, but on Tuesday we're freaking out because something happens. How do we bridge that gap? How do we connect our Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, our story and what we go through during a given week with the story of God? And I would just like to suggest this. We have to arrange our entire day, to be really quick, around the practice of being with Jesus. So this is what I've learned and this is what I try to do is every morning before I wake up and I've shared this before, before I get out of bed, before I get the coffee, before I handle any kids, before I read any news or any books on philosophy or figure out my work week, I spend three minutes, everyone say three minutes, nothing more, three minutes and I pray the prayer of presenting my heart and my body to Jesus. Shane, I love it, he wakes up in the morning and he says, good morning, Holy Spirit. What I do is I just quote Romans 12. God, I want to present my body as a living sacrifice to you today. I sink into just a, a, the love of God and I wait on him. I pray just a few other things and I just commit my life yeah. that day to the good purposes of Jesus. Now, this is what I, I'm done. I got to be done here. But this is, some of you are like, you, you've been saying that, okay, just... Hold on. Be quiet. Like, what am I talking about? Let me have an argument with you. Um, but this is what I've learned, that when I was a young man, I only gave a fourth of my day to God. So I would wake up in the morning, and I would give the morning to him. But then by 4 o'clock, I was like, why? where's the joy? Why am I just, oh, so my, my emotions are all over the place. What I learned is that if I can take at least three times a day throughout my day, one in the morning, one in the afternoon, and one in the evening, and I commit it to Jesus in 10, 15 minutes of prayer or reciting memory verses or declaring the word of God and his promises, as a particular kind of prayer, and we'll get into it, that I do, um, I have found that's where I tap into the joy that God has for me. Usually by 12 o'clock, ministry can be hard. I'm wiped out and exhausted. I had a great uh, time in morning prayer, but by 12 o'clock, I'm like, where's the joy? God, I'm tired. That's when I separate myself. I spend 15, 20 minutes in the presence of God. I quote scripture. I pray. I open myself up to the Holy Spirit, and then I go through my day before I come home. I usually take 10, 15 minutes before I see my kids. I brace myself for the hurricane. So I go walk through the doors. Before I do that, I just ask God to come and wash any defilement from me, come fill me with his presence and with his peace, and I just wait on God to speak for me. As I've learned to arrange my entire day around Jesus and his love for me, that is how I bridge that gap, that yawning gap between Sunday and the rest of my week. I don't think we can tap into the joy that God has for us if we're reading our Bible. And I just say this because I love you guys so much if we just read our Bible once a month. I think God is calling us higher this season to take our day and to give it to him and just ask the Holy Spirit, what do you want me to do? How do you want me to arrange my life so I can tap into the joy that you have for me and then sink into the love that God has for me? Finally, last thing, number three, we need to learn to be grateful if we want to walk into God's joy. The holiest person, the words of one author, the holiest person you ever meet is the most grateful person. The holiest person. The person who understands all the gifts that God has given them are the most grateful. I want to be grateful this summer. And everyone said, 
Amen. How many of you want to experience God's joy in your life? All right, let me pray for you. Father, I thank you for your presence. Lord, I know we're going through a lot of different stuff. I thank you that even though for some of us we have sorrow, for some of us we have difficulties, some of us were, man, deep things are happening in our marriage, maybe hard things, maybe in our relationships, maybe some of us are experiencing an existential crisis. I just pray, Holy Spirit, that you would come and breathe your life and your joy into every heart. But Father, I thank you that you know every story here, that you would come and fill us with your love. Lord, I thank you that the perfect love of the Father casts out all fear. And I thank you that it's in your love that we discover joy. And it's in your love that produces joy that gives us the strength to carry life, to carry hardships. And Father, I just thank you like this is Pentecost Sunday. Lord, you poured out your spirit and made your people brand new. You gave them strength and you gave them authority and you gave them power. I just ask that you would do the same thing today. We can't manufacture joy, but Father, I thank you that you come in your love and in the power of the Spirit and you fill us. Some of us are full of anger today. Some of us are full of resentment. Some of us are full of heartache. Some of us are wrestling with negative scripts in our life that go against the story of God and his love for us. Father, I think you know exactly what every son and daughter in this room needs, and I just ask you would come and pour out your spirit in fresh ways. So your eyes are closed, your heads are bowed. This is the last thing that I'm going to do, and I'm going to walk off the stage. You would say, Chris, I need the joy of the Lord. I'm walking through a really difficult season. And I believe that I'm called to joy, but man, that just feels hard. Could you pray for me right now? If that's you, could you just lift up your hand? I would like to pray for you. Just go lift up your hand. Thank you, thank you. See those hands? Keep up raised so I can see your hands. Okay, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you all over the place. Thank you for your honesty. About a fourth of you raised your hands. You put it down. If you raise your hand, just take it and put it on your heart right now. Father, I thank you that an exchange would take place. That everyone who raised their hand would know in a deep way the love that God has for them. Not just in their head, not just an abstract kind of understanding, but a deep personal awareness that they're loved. Holy Spirit, just breathe on them. Breathe on them. Fill them with your power. Anoint them in fresh ways. Anoint them with joy. Anoint them with gladness. Lord, I think that the joy of the Lord would be with them this week, be with them this summer. I think that it would help them to navigate the difficulties of their life. And I thank you that everyone who raised their hand say, leave this place would know your strength, your love, your presence, your anointing, your power, and your authority. 
that you are closer than they could ever, ever believe and that you have good purposes for them. We bless them in the mighty name of Jesus. And everyone said, amen. Thank you for joining us today. If you'd like to give towards this ministry, learn more about our church and events, or are in need of prayer, please visit capitalchurch.co.